Hello, everybody. You're listening to Life and Godliness. I am Craig Benny. On this week's show, I want to focus on a story that has been spreading around Facebook quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. This is a story that I've used several times in uh, different sermons and different Bible classes. It's a story of a man named Horatio Gates Spatford. Now, Horatio Gates Spatford and his wife, Anna Spatford, were well-known in 1860s Chicago. He was a prominent lawyer, a senior partner in a large, thriving law firm. He and his wife were also prominent supporters of their friend, uh, the evangelist Dwight Moody. I believe Dwight Moody was a Presbyterian uh, preacher. A series of family tragedies began in 1870 when their only son died from scarlet fever at the age of four. Spatford invested in real estate north of expanding Chicago in the spring of 1871, rather, when the Great Chicago Fire reduced the city to ashes in October of 1871, so less than a year later, just a few months. The same year that Spatford invested in the Chicago real estate, is also it was also destroyed most of Spatford's sizable investments. Can you imagine that? Imagine investing all of your money in uh, this real estate venture, and then you have a great, this great fire, this catastrophe uh, in Chicago that wipes out most of your investments. The story goes on to say two years later in 1873, Spatford decided his family should take a holiday somewhere in Europe. And they chose England knowing that their friend D.L. Moody would be preaching there in the fall. He was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead, his wife and their four children, daughter, 11-year-old Anne, or Anna, they called her Annie, nine-year-old Margaret Lee, five-year-old Elizabeth, or as they called her, Bessie, and two-year-old Tanita. I probably pronounced that last, that last daughter's name wrong. On November, uh, sorry, on November 22nd, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic, uh, on the steamship uh, Vela de Harver, probably pronounced that wrong as well, their ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel. 226 people lost their lives, including all four of Spatford's daughters. Anna Spatford, his wife, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving to England, she sent a telegram back to Stafford, beginning, Saved Alone. Spatford then sailed to England, and as he crossed the Atlantic, where his daughters died, he wrote some words that you might recognize. He wrote down a poem that starts, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, and though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate, and he has shed his own blood for my soul. My sins, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trumps shall resound, the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. 
We've sang this song, at least I have, my entire life. I think most of us probably have heard it in one way or another. And there's a good chance that you grew up singing this in Sunday school or singing this at church. Or, if nothing else, hearing it on uh, the radio. There's uh, many artists in, the, in bluegrass and country and gospel who have, who have uh, recorded it along with uh, pop and R&B artists. It is a very popular song. We spent our whole lives listening to this song, and speaking for myself, I had no idea the story that was behind it. We look at these words, and, and uh, we sing, uh, no matter what happens, uh, though Satan should buffet and trial should come, it is well with my soul. And so that idea is, I, I'm, uh, I am content with my position. It is well with me, no matter what happens, because... Christ has regarded has regarded my helpless estate, and he has shed his own blood. He has wiped away my sin, not in part, but the whole. And I know he's coming back. And so we look at that and we think, uh, we think of contentment. We think of uh, our, our lives, the things that we go through in our lives. And in reality, most of us will never have to deal with what Spatford was dealing with at the time that he wrote this poem. His life uh, had been unraveled three different times before his daughters died uh, in 1873. And then after his daughters die, he still has the boldness to say, uh, you know, God, whatever you say, whatever, whatever happens, whatever happens here, whatever you say is good. Whatever you do, whatever you cause to happen, I know this will work together for good. And whatever it is, I'm content with it. It is absolutely well with my soul. You know, we look to the scriptures, and I think, I think sometimes we forget how much persecution was suffered. In the New Testament church, uh, we had brethren who were literally fighting lions and tigers. We have uh, brethren who were lit on fire and burned. We have brethren who were, who, were, who were dipped in oil in the first century. And all that time, Paul is telling Timothy to be content with the things that he has, to be content with who he is in life. You know, in all, uh, in all seriousness, Paul had a pretty great life before he became a Christian. Uh, physically, uh, in, in the a carnal nature, he had a pretty great life. He was a, he was a Pharisee. He was well-respected in the Jewish community. He was a Roman citizen. Uh, he was well-respected among the, uh, the Roman uh, citizenship and uh, the ruling class. He was an important man. He was educated. Uh, he decides to follow Christ and all of a sudden, the, the Romans who loved him now hated him because he uh, preached the name of King Jesus, who was king of kings and who undermined the Roman rule. Not really. Jesus never undermined it. Matter of fact, he uh, and Paul uh, tells Christians everywhere to submit to governing authorities. Uh, but that's not how a king sees it when you hear of another king. The Pharisees turned against him. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees and the son of a Pharisee. But the Pharisees turned against him because now he's no longer uh, religiously a Jew. 
Instead, he's teaching in the name of Christ, and that's undermining their authority. And so uh, they seek to kill him, and the Romans seek to kill him. He made enemies of uh, Jew and Gentile alike. And all the time, all the time, he's telling people uh, to be content. This whole time, after losing everything, Paul uh, says in, in the book of Philippians, he says, I counted it all as rubbish, as garbage, just to have the knowledge of Christ Jesus. He says, I don't hold on to the things that are here. And so we see Paul, and, and his life completely got turned around. And he, he's, uh, he goes from Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, where he's persecuting the Jews, or persecuting the Christians, rather, to uh, at the end of Acts chapter 9, when he's preaching in the name of Jesus, and he's being ran out of Damascus uh, because he's preaching in the name of Christ. He's boldly teaching in the synagogue. And so his life's completely turned around. And so we see this great persecution. We go back even further. Uh, if we looked to Psalm, uh, the book of Psalms, and, and uh, I believe it's Psalm 21, where David is uh, prophesying of the crucifixion of Christ, but he's speaking of his own, uh, of himself in his own time as well. And he, he feels like all of his enemies are surrounded and are pressing on him, and he's being persecuted, and there's no hope for him. Even he even says, uh, my, he starts out the first words of the psalm is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so he even looks to God and he says, you've forsaken me. We, we look at the book of Job. We often talk about the patience of Job. Uh, but Job, of course, was suffered great persecution and he wasn't without doubt. He wasn't, or he wasn't without question for God. He starts out in, uh, so of course, Job chapter one, we know that uh, he was a man, from, Job was a man from the land of us who feared God, he shunned evil. Uh, we know he was blameless and upright. We know he had 10 kids. He was very rich. He was a great, a powerful man. He was greatest of all the men of the East. He was a very important man in his time. Uh, all of that was taken away from him. He was struck. Uh, God allows Satan to strike everything that he owns. And then at the end of, the, of day one, you, he has three servants who come uh, one after another and report that you, all your possessions are gone, all your fields are burned, all your animals have either been stolen or slaughtered. And then the final servant comes and he says, your, your ten children were, were feasting and drinking in the house of their oldest brother, of your oldest son. And a wind came and struck all the corners of the house and the house collapsed. He said, and I alone have, es have escaped to tell you. And so he has three servants uh, and no possessions, just a bunch of scorched earth left. Even his kids have died. And then his wife tells him to curse God and die. And so even though he's left with his wife, his wife isn't exactly a blessing to him in this at this time. He's visited then by his three friends and uh, through chapters 3 through 26, uh, we see... Uh, his friends criticize him and call him a sinner and say, there's, there's got to be a reason why God has struck you. And Job even questions. And he, he questions and he, he says, God has uh, is against me. He has struck me in chapter 19. Uh, Job answers one of his friends. And he says, then Job answered and said, how long will you trouble my soul? 
uh, and break me in pieces with your words. These ten times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me. And if indeed I have earned, my error remains with me. If indeed you exalt yourself against me and plead uh, my disgrace against me, know then that God has wronged me and, his, uh, and he has surrounded me with his net. If I cry out concerning uh, wrong, am I, not, uh, I am not heard. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. He has faced, uh, sorry, he has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness in my paths. And so we see the mind of Job here, where uh, his distress is complete. He is full of distress. He has no idea uh, what he has done wrong, and he has no idea why God is allowing this darkness to come upon him. But I think the remarkable thing is we see the same mind in Job. Uh, that we see in Spatford in, in, uh, towards the end of this chapter in verse 23. This chapter 19 of Job in verse 23 says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that it were uh, inscribed in a book. That's kind of uh, foreshadowing, I guess. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. It's, it's remarkable the mind that we see in Job, and the attitude we see in Job. Even when he's being persecuted, he's saying, even this, even this is within God's abilities. Even this, even if it causes my death, what I know is that my Redeemer is alive. And I know, of course, Job is writing before the coming of Christ. He says, I know he will stand on this earth. He says, I know when I die, I will see him face to face and I will behold him. Not with someone else's eyes, not in faith because someone else told me about him, but because I'm seeing God face to face. And so he says, I, 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 know, I know where I stand. And even if all these th other things happen, my God is alive and he will redeem me. And when I die, I will stand face to face with him and I will be in his presence. This goes back to chapters one and two, when he's told to curse God and die by his wife. Job's answer to his wife is, should we receive the blessings from God and not the curses? Said, naked I came into this world and naked I shall return. When Job first learned of this, he fell to the ground and he worshiped God. When he first learned of his kids, uh, the death of his, his 10 kids. His attitude in the first two chapters never fades. His, his persecution gets worse. His, his uh, suffering is enhanced, but his attitude never changes. Now he has questions. He even questions God. He thinks God has turned against him. And in a few chapters later, we're going to see Job uh, question God, and God is going to question him back. He, God is going to stand before Job in the whirlwind and answer Job's question. And then he's going to tell Job to present yourself like a man. I have some questions for you. That's, that's, all, coming, that's all down the road in the book of Job. 
But Job's attitude, even though he questioned God, his attitude was always, I want this to change. I want this to be better for me. But I know who you are. I know, I know God. And I know that he lives. And he will redeem me. And so this is the same attitude we see in the New Testament with Paul. He loses everything. He's beaten. If you look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, starting in verse 22, uh, we see the suffering of Paul. We see all of the things that Paul, uh, well, up to the point where he writes 2 Corinthians, we see the many things that Paul had to suffer or ended up suffering. And he's in verse 22 of chapter 11, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seeds of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labor, more abundant, in stripes uh, above measure, in prison, more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save uh, or minus one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils uh, of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils at sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toils, in sleepless night, uh, in weariness and toils, in sleeplessness, uh, often in hunger and thirst, in uh, fasting, often in cold and nakedness, and besides these things, the uh, the what comes upon me daily, the concern for the churches, concern for all the churches, and so he's saying, I have suffered so much uh, for the sake of Christ, and of course he he starts this by saying, I'm speaking as a fool, and what he means there, I'm boasting as a fool would boast. His point isn't that I suffered. Look at all the stuff that I've done for Christ. His his point is that he 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 is a servant of Christ. If we're looking in context uh, here, uh, he's not boasting just to boast. He's boasting to teach them not to boast, and that if anybody had a right to boast, it would be him. But he's telling them not to boast. But we see all the things that he uh, th that he suffered for the cause of Christ. Later on in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the next chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul tells us about uh, a thorn in the flesh. He says, three, uh, three times I prayed that the thorn in the flesh would be removed from me. And he said that the answer from God was, my grace is sufficient for you. Even Paul, who went through all of his suffering, even Paul prayed to God and asked for the suffering to cease. Even Paul prayed to be uh, to be relieved from his chains. Even Paul prayed that the thorn in the flesh would be taken out. But when Christ said, when God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul accepted that. And he went, he went on and he still preached the gospel. I think this comes from their mindset at the beginning. Job, we've already talked about Job. He started with the right attitude. He fell down and he worshiped God. Uh, he said, naked I came into the, this world, and naked I shall return. And in all things, he stuck with God. He, he worshiped God. He understood what was happening. 
uh, or he do, even though he didn't understand what was happening, rather, uh, he worshiped God and then he rebuked his wife for uh, saying that he should curse God and die. And then in the end, in chapter 42, he's, uh, he's praised by God as being faithful to him, being the only one who did not stumble. We see that he, he started with that right attitude and he finished with the same attitude. Now, Paul, when we see Paul as Saul in, in chapter 8 of Acts, where he's uh, holding the coats at the stoning of Stephen, and then in chapter 9, it starts with he, uh, he was breathing threats to the church and he was seeking to imprison Christians. We see that great zeal he, he had for God. Now, it was misguided zeal zeal, but he had a great zeal for God. And when he was proven wrong, when God appeared to him and showed him the truth, he retained that good zeal, that great zeal that he had. Paul starts with a proper attitude. His, his attitude is, I'm going to serve God. He is content with the things that he has in this world. And he knows that uh, he left behind great things, but more importantly, he knows what is coming in the future. He knows what's coming ahead. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, uh, he says, Not that I uh, speak in regards to need, for I have learned in whatever uh, state I am in to be content. I uh, know how to be abased, and I know how to abound in, every, in everywhere, and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then verse 13 is the one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible, where he says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I've learned to be uh, in whatever state I need to be in. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do, I can go through this suffering and make it out on the other side. Why? Well, for the same reasons that Job had. When he said in, in chapter 19 of Job, when he said, but I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand upon the earth. He looked to God. He says, I know who my God is. I know who I need to be focused on. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 16, Paul says, uh, Therefore do not lose heart, even though your outward man is perishing, yet your inward man is being renewed day by day. He's telling the church in Corinth, he's refocusing their mind. He's saying, I know, I know that your outward man is perishing. I know that you're suffering. But do not lose heart, because it's not the outward man that matters. It's the inward man. Your inward man is being renewed day by day. Paul also said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep all that I have committed unto him against that day. He says, I know who I believe. Just as Job says, I know who my Redeemer is. Paul says, I know who my Redeemer is. And I know what he has promised me, and I will, and I will keep it. I will keep his word, and I, I will keep it, uh, hold it to him to it unto that day. God is faithful and just to keep his word. The reason for the failure is, or for man's failure, is simple. Man has a habit of uh, looking for contentment in material things, 
and possessions. Most of mankind never understands nor enjoys contentment, satisfaction, or peace of mind. Only when men seek after godliness and God's will can they find real contentment. Only after we cultivate a mindset that says, no matter what comes in this world, it is well with my soul. It doesn't matter, though Satan should buffet and trial should come. It doesn't matter. It, that too is well with my soul. Because I know who my Redeemer is. Because I know that the sins, my sins have been forgiven, not in part but a whole. I know that he, he nailed my sins to the cross. And I know that one day, the clouds will roll back and the faith will be sight. And we will see God. The trumps will sound. The dead will arise. And we will behold our Redeemer, not with someone else's eyes, but with our own eyes face to face. Because that is what God has promised us. So, what is our contentment in this world? What is our level of contentment in this world? Are we so focused on the things that are here that we have forgotten God or that our focus has drifted away from God? These physical things, these carnal things of this world have no part with God. The love of this world is enmity with God. The things that are in this world are perishing and those who love this world are perishing with him. Let's not be the dead. Let's be those who are alive in Christ and those who look to God. Let's be those uh, who take whatever situation we are in and we glorify God in our body. Paul said, if I die, it is great gain for me. If I die, it is gain. But if I live, I live for Christ, to glorify Christ. So no matter what happens in this world, Remember to live to glorify God and don't worry so much about the things that are of this world because our Redeemer lives and one day we will see him face to face with our own eyes. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Life and Godliness. You might not know this, but I also write articles, maybe not the best articles, but they are articles and they are published on my blog on Blogspot. The blog is called Aletheo and Agape. I probably pronounced that wrong. It's Greek for speaking the truth in love. There should be a link to it in the description of this podcast. If you would check that out and maybe share it with your friends, I'd really appreciate it.